Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. All right, good evening. Welcome back to Class 2, the School of Prayer in the True Love Apostolic College. Um... We are about to begin um, our class tonight. We're going to open up in prayer. And again, bear with me. I'm battling allergies. I'm very congested. I feel like my head is 12 times as big as its normal size. Um, But nevertheless, Father, tonight we glorify you and thank you, Lord God. We give you praise, honor, and glory for another chance to come out into your house, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for life, us and strength. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads and guides us into all truth and righteousness. And, God, we thank you for the assembly of the brotherhood tonight. Father, we pray for those who are here, and we pray for those who are on their way, Lord God, that you bring them here safely, Lord God, without accident or incident. And God, we that are gathered here, Father, we just pull on the, te- the teaching anointing, God, that you begin to impart into us a revelation, a knowledge, and an understanding of your word as it pertains to prayer. And God, I thank you for my healing, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start tonight. We're about a few minutes behind, so we're going to try to make that up. Um, for those of you who are joining us um, for the first time, uh, uh, the class from last week is recorded. We'll make sure that you have access to that. Um, we have workbooks from last week also that you can catch up with where we are. Um, this is how we roll. Um, during uh, the, um, this first hour, it will be mostly a, um, a lecture where I'll be doing most of the talking and what have you. If you have questions, please jot them down, and by the end of the class, or if we decide to take a break, make sure that you um, present your questions. Everybody has a workbook. Top of your workbook should say the School of Prayer Class 2. All right? Tonight we will be discussing fasting and we will be discussing speaking in tongues. All right, so we'll open up to page 2. Top of page 2 um, opens us up in fasting. Now, fasting is one of those um, spiritual disciplines that you don't hear a lot um, in the church today, and that's probably why we have as many issues as we have in the body of Christ. This is why you see a lot of flesh moves, a lot of flesh decisions. Um, a lot of people act not in flesh because the flesh has not been crucified. Fasting crucifies and um, humbles the flesh. So fasting in the Greek is nesthia, which is translated to be a voluntary abstinence from food. Okay? And um, <clears throat> it takes on two meanings in terms of, of the Hebrew meaning of the word uh, nesthia. It takes on two meanings. It either means to abstain from all natural food or it means to afflict the soul. So there will be some times where God calls you on a fast where it's not necessarily away from food, but sometimes it's just away from things. So in, Bibli- in the Hebrew term, fasting does not always mean to go, without, to go completely without food. And those of you that are familiar with the story of Daniel, you know that he was able to eat, but his uh, diet was restricted. So anyway, in that Hebrew term, Nesia, N-E-S-T-I-A, it translates as a voluntary abstinence from food, but it can mean two things, fasting from food completely or fasting from a certain thing that the Holy Spirit is um, guiding you to do. Um, in your fast, the Lord will um, 
uh, ordain you a fast where he sets a certain period of time. For some people, you may have a one-day fast. Some people may have a seven-day fast. Some people have 40 days. God bless you, if that's what God is calling you to. Um, fasting is one of the most neglected forms of worship, and it is a form of worship. Um, it is one of the most neglected forms of worship in the body of Christ because people have a hard time crucifying the flesh. Everybody loves chicken. Okay? Um, and, and, and so but when you look at the Western society, the West men, the U.S. on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, you find that, um, that, that fasting is not as, as heavily, uh, um, it, it's not as, people are not as devoted to fasting as they are in other Eastern cultures. Even those that are not Christians, they fast, Muslims fast. And, and so you have many other religions that are they're strong in fasting, but many, many of us in the Western civilization, it's just too much distractions and, and we don't fast like we should. Fasting pulls us away from the business of life. That's one of the reasons why God will ordain a fast for you, to pull you away, to pull you back into a time of retreat um, uh, with the Lord. This is a time where we turn off our, our devices, pull away from food or other delectable things, and we take that time rather to spend time with the Lord. So the time we would spend eating or time we would spend Netflixing or time we would spend Facebooking, we're giving that time to the Lord. Okay? Here is what fasting is not. And this is a great, these are great misconceptions in the body of Christ. Fasting is not forcing God to move. Well, this is not going my way, so I'm going to fast. That is not a fast that God ordained. Fasting does not force God's hands to move. On the contrary, fasting forces us to move in place with God. Fasting clears us. It's like a drain-off. It flushes our system. It cleans out all the junk. It's a defrocking mechanism. It cleanses you so that you can hear God so that whatever you're going through, you can hear God to show you which way and, and what he would have you to do in a situation. So fasting does not uh, move. It does not force God's hand to move, okay? Fasting uh, is not going without food because you forgot lunch. Fasting is not what you do when you don't have food in the house, okay? Uh, fasting is planned. Starvation is not. <laughs> Fasting is not making God feel sorry for you. You can't use witchcraft. You can't witchcraft God, okay? God, I'm going through. I'm, I feel bad, so I'm going to fast and make you feel sorry for me. Won't work. Um, fasting is not publicizing what you do to make yourself seem super spiritual. Rise and Pharisees did that. Didn't work for them. Fasting is not punishment for your children. You mad? You don't want to cook, so everybody's going to fast. That's not a fast that God has chosen. And fasting is not going on a hunger strike. So we laugh, but a lot of people, they think, and they, oh, well, I'm fasting because they didn't have lunch. That's not a fast. You just went without lunch. <laughs> fasting means to pray, to sanctify yourself, to consecrate, and to pull away and spend time with the Lord. So why do we fast? We fast, number one, because Jesus said so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, but in all things, approving ourselves as, as the ministers of God, in much patience, afflictions, and necessities, distresses, and stripes, imprisonments, and tumult, labors and watchings and fasting. So all of these things, especially those of us who are in ministry, fasting is a part of our discipline. Just as we pray, just as we study, fasting is also a part of that. Um, a very important reason to fast is to pull aside, like I said earlier, to hear God's will. Acts chapter 13, 3 through 4, and when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and then they sent them away, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, and then, and then talking about Paul and Silas. Also in Acts chapter 14, 23, when times of ordination, church ordination, there's a time of fasting, there's a time of preparation, preparing that person for the work that God is calling them to. And the scripture there is when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, not just prayed, but they prayed and they fasted. Um, the Bible says that they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So 
So before making any major moves in ministry, marriage, business, relationships, always fast, always pull aside and just shut everything down and say, God, you know what, I just want to hear from you. I don't want to be led in my flesh. I want to make sure this is something that, that you're doing. Um, so set that time aside to seek um, from the Lord. Another reason to fast, according to um, Esther, which is a very popular example that we know about, is when you're in trouble. You fast when you're in trouble, when you need an answer from the Lord. And this is not going back to forcing God to do what you want, but it's getting into a place where your life is in danger, you got a diagnosis from the doctor, or your loved one had a bad report, and, and, and things are just going on, court situation coming up, and you want to get into a quiet place where you can hear from God. And so this is what Esther did in Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The Bible said, Esther bade them um, to return Mordecai this answer, go and gather all the Jews that are present and fast for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. And so the reason she told you, she said, look, I'm not in a position to fast, but fast for me. Now, it's not to say you fast for me and I'm going to eat everything I want. That wasn't the case. The case was I cannot fast. I'm in a very um, precarious situation, so I cannot fast. You fast for me because I need to hear from God. And so you'll find that those are biblical examples of um, fasting. We fast for revelation. We fast for understanding. We fast for direction. And so, again, this is the marriage that goes into those of us in ministry. When we come to a point um, in our studying or in our preaching or in our delivery of the word and you find yourself kind of just stuck, you know, you're not really moving in God like you used to, not really slow in God, go on a fast. Okay, God, I'm ready to go to the next level. And so you find that Daniel, he was seeking the Lord for some answers, seeking God for some revelation on some things, and so he fasted 21 days because he needed the answer. And even when the enemy tried to hold it up, God sent a breakthrough in the heavens so he could get it. So God will partner with you when you're fasting. On page three, uh, our topic is do we want to be like Jesus? Could we say that? Oh, I want to be like Jesus. I want to talk like Jesus. And I want to, I want to preach like Jesus, but we don't fast like Jesus. Okay? So when we say that, Jesus expects us to fast. In Matthew chapter 6, 16, moreover, when you fast, not if you fast, when. In other words, he expects us to have a fasting lifestyle. Immediately after Jesus was baptized by the water, um, after he received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he went on a fast. Why? Because he knew it was time for him to be thrusted out into public ministry, and he needed the power of God. He needed the anointing. He needed the revelation. He needed the power of God. He needed the unction of God. He needed to hear, the, to hear from God. And so he didn't just assume, well, I'm baptized. I got the Holy Ghost, and, and now it's time to do ministry. He said, no, I want power. Okay, and even later on, you find out that when he came out, he came out with power. And so fasting will increase. You want to increase the anointing? Fasting will do it. Fasting will increase the anointing on your life. And so um, this is what Jesus did when he came out, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went. The Spirit of God led him to a fast. Okay, and so when he came out, the first thing, if anybody pays attention to it, the first thing that Jesus did when he came off his fast is he went to the wedding in Canaan. And what did he do? Turn water into wine. So you'll find that a person who is moving in, in an anointed ministry and they're spending time in fasting and prayer, they're going to bring joy. They're going to uplift the people of God. They're going to encourage, and, and we'll talk about that way later on. They're going to build the people of God up because they're operating in that dimension. And so the first public ministry aspect of public ministry, even though he didn't preach, it was his first miracle, he turned water into wine. He ministered to the people and brought them joy, even though it wasn't his time, but he submitted to his mother. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Why? Because it just finishes fast. So, again, you want to operate in that anointing. You see a grace upon your life that God is moving you into. You want to go on a fast. You want to break some yokes. You want to get delivered to certain areas. You want to go on a fast. There's an authority in the word that we receive when we fast. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. Um, and I won't go into all the, the details here, but this was for the time when this man had a son who was, had a lunatic spirit. Most of us know the story. 
And so they went to the disciples. Now, hitherto, the disciples had been casting out devils. But when it came to this particular demon, there was a stronghold. And so you find when, you, when you're struggling with certain spirits, maybe in church, what have you, and you come out in Jesus' name, I plead the blood, and that devil's not moving. <laughs> that means that you're not on that level of authority to attack, to, to command that particular spirit. And this is what happened with these disciples. They could not, they could not understand it. Why can't we cast them out? We have cast out all these other spirits, but with this particular demon, we can't move them. He said, this time goes not out for by fasting and prayer. In other words, you've got to operate. If this is a stronger stronghold, this is a stronger demonic force, and it's going to take more power, more anointing, more revelation to contend with it. And that's what Jesus uh, illustrated with this particular uh, uh, verse. So the disciples had the anointing. They had the permission to cast out devils. But when they got to this particular stronghold, and sometimes that will be indicative of the fact that God wants to move you to another level. If God will allow you to come to a brick wall. Because some of us, if we didn't know that we needed to move higher, we wouldn't. We would get comfortable right where we are. And so sometimes you're like, bam, I can't hit I can't. And God was like, yeah, come on, come on. And you can't hit it. And then you, within yourself, you may go home and say, you know what, God, why couldn't I do that? Why? What was wrong with me? I know I love you. I know I ain't operating, you know, open sin. But why wasn't it? And maybe the Lord will tell you, you know, what time to go to another level and you don't have what it takes you. I need to pull you back in and, and, and deal with you in that area. So, hey, that's the something that you want. So fasting turns our attention from natural food to spiritual food. Job says this in chapter 20, 23, verse 12. He said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So fasting brings you to a low place, uh, a low natural place, so that God can elevate you to a high spiritual place. I'm in the middle of page three. Uh, so uh, Job was a fasting man, therefore. And here's the thing. When you have a discipline of a fasting life, when trials come, you automatically know what to do. That's why Job didn't lose his mind. Job had a fasting relationship. Every day Job was uh, uh, worshiping. Every day Job was interceding. So that when the things of life came upon him, it, it didn't overtake him. The Bible says he, he maintained his integrity. He didn't lose his mind. You know, so fasting, it curbed his flesh so that when things did come upon him, he didn't go crazy. He's like, okay, you know what? This stuff is popping off everywhere, but I can handle this. Because he had already, he was moving already in that discipline. The bottom of page three, uh, fasting is, it, make sure those who come in, you got your hand out? Make sure they have a hand out. Uh, 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 when school uh, prayer class too. So fasting, bottom of page three, is a time for honest examination of your soul. It is an afflicting of your soul. And during this time, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal some things to you that you didn't even know was an issue. If there are areas of unconfessed sin, issues in your flesh, areas where you may have been bound by the enemy, God's going to bring those things. He's going to bring that to your attention. Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 13, bottom of page 3, rend your heart, not your garments. In other words, when we're fasting and we're going before the Lord, you're breaking your heart wide open. God, this is all of me, Mom. Like David. Y'all remember what happened with David? David didn't go to the Lord and pray and say, oh, Bathsheba was on the top of the building. She didn't have her clothes on. She messed me up. You know, he, he took responsibility. And so that's what fasting does. Fasting removes all the crutches, and it brings you before the Lord um, naked. It brings you before the Lord open and exposed so that God can deal with you about what you need to do for the next level, what you need to do to get out of this particular uh, predicament. So Joel, Joel uh, chapter 213 says, Rend your hearts, not your garments, and turn to the Lord, for he is gracious, he is merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, and repent of the evil. And then Jeremiah picks it up here in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourself to go and take away the foreskins of your heart. So sometimes God will say, I need you to go on a fast. And the reason why God wants you to go on a fast is maybe he sees some areas of your flesh that need to be put under control. You know what I'm saying? You get attitudes all the time, easily defended, easily hurt, easily mad, and God says, okay, you know what? No food for three days. And I turn everything off, let me talk to you. 
And so that's that time. That's kind of like growing up. You go out to the they call it go out to the shed, to the woodshed. <laughs> you know, and, and not to say that you look at fasting as punishment. I don't mean to say it like that, but it just means now your father wants to sit down and talk to you. Basically, if I could sum fasting up, your daddy want to talk to you. And so you put everything down, you put everything away, and you sit there and you listen to what he has to say. Uh, corporate fasting on page four. Um, while it is vitally important for each uh, each believer to fast, there will also be times when God calls for an entire assembly. We have our corporate fast at the beginning of the year. We need to have another one real soon. Um, and, and so, you know, you will know when it's time. Like I said, when flesh starts to rise up, when you see certain, certain strongholds not moving, that's when it's time to crucify the flesh. And so you'll find the Lord will say, okay, call the whole church to fast. Or God may say, call all the ministers to a fast. Or whatever the situation is. I mean, God is God, and however he orchestrates it, he orchestrates it. But there will be times when, aside from your individual fast, there's a corporate fast. Now, you can't wait for a corporate fast to fast. Because a corporate fast may only be one time a year. And if you only fast one time a year, you're in big trouble. Okay? And so, you know, just because the Lord is calling the church to a corporate fast, that has nothing to do with your own individual walk, nothing to do with your personal walk. God may call the church on a 30-day fast, and when they say amen, God says, okay, now you go back over 10. <laughs> He's God. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, uh, uh, verses 13 through 14, he said, if I shut up the heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts, uh, to devour the land, if I send pestilence among the people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And so in this particular instance, this is the formula that God is looking for in fasting and prayer. This is what God is looking for. Number one, he said, if, he said, uh, if my people, you got to recognize your identity. When you're going to God in fasting, you got to recognize, first of all, God, I'm your child, and I come and submit myself to you. There's some things going on in my life, strongholds in my family, strongholds in my ministry, strongholds in my church, and, God, I need to hear from you. So, God, I'm your child. I'm your, you are my father. I'm your child. Look, number one, the first thing you do on page four is you recognize your identity. I am called by the name of the Lord. So and at that point, God, you know what? I'm not blaming anybody. Father, deal with me. Show me. Am I part of the problem? Show me what's going on. You go to God and say, Father, I come to amend my way. Okay, one of the things I was studying, this has nothing to do with this, but I was studying this um, a couple weeks ago for one of my um, prophets' classes, and I, I was studying uh, Jeremiah. I think it was the book of Lamentations. And don't you know, even though this man had not sinned, he identified with the sins of the nation, and he went before the Lord like he literally did it. God, we have broken your heart. We have transgressed your word. We have we erected idols, and he didn't do it. But as he interceded, he made himself, he took that upon himself so that when, his, when he went before the Lord, it was he wanted the Lord to look at him as if he was representing his whole nation. And I was like, wow, that was a powerful, powerful example of intercessory prayer is that he took on the people's, the nation's burdens as his own. He took on their sins as his own. Father, look on us. We have sinned. We have so and so and so. And it wasn't him, but he stood in the gap for his people. Uh, the second thing, going before the Lord in prayer, is to humble yourself. Examine your ways before the Lord. Put away pride, arrogance, deceit, and conceit. What do scribes and Pharisees do? Oh, we, we, we uh, fast twice a day. And you're still full of hell. You couldn't even recognize Jesus when he came in your, in your midst, praise God. So learn how to, when you're going before the Lord, learn how to have a spirit of humility. Humble yourself. Put away pride. Lord, I didn't do it. I don't know why they picked on me or whatever. It's not even about that. God, I'm here. The situation is here. I, we need help. We need to know how to, how to, how to deal with this. Third thing, pray. People fast and they don't pray. They just go without food. There's no fasting without praying. <laughs> and I say that because they'll just go without food and didn't talk to Jesus at all. 
So make sure in your fast you are praying. You make your request known to God verbally, not, Lord, you know my thoughts. God, you know my heart. Yes, these are my thoughts, and this is my heart. You have to, you have to verbally confess what it is you're taking to God for the duration of your fast. Ask for God's mercy. Ask for God's intervention. Cry aloud. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Make known your petitions. Don't just sit in the midst of a fast and be quiet. Just hungry. Okay. You frustrate the purpose of your fast. And the fifth thing now that God is looking for in our fast is for us to turn from our wicked ways. And that's what he told the people of Christ. He said, it's my people, which are called by my name. That's identity. Shall humble themselves. That's your attitude. That's your posture, prayer, humility. He said, if they would pray, pray, seek my faith, okay, meditate and devotion, study the word, and turn from your wicked ways. That means stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Whatever it is that's causing problems or whatever, you, you amend your ways. Then the Lord said, and he ought to, these are the responses to prayer. Three responses. Number one, God will hear from heaven. In other words, he will give you, he will give your voice permission to access the courts of heaven. Whereas you had a situation that's grassy heavens over your head, you can't break through, you can't hear God, you go on a fast, doors are open now, God can hear you. So number one, he said, I will hear from heaven. God will give your voice. Um, he will allow your voice to enter into his court. He'll remove grassy heavens, iron gates from over your head, and now he'll listen to what you got to say because you fast, because you afflicted your soul. Number two, he'll forgive your sin. And number three, he'll heal your land. And that doesn't mean where you live. It means your situation. God will bring healing and restoration to your situation. Okay? Um, one of the things that uh, Mahesh Shabda says this, and it's in great scale. I apologize. I should have went back through this and made sure it was in black. But it says sometimes the breakthrough will be immediate. Sometimes it will come after the fast is over. But know that every time you fast and pray in the anointing, something is happening. And that's what I believe Daniel knew, that even though he could not get a breakthrough at that time, he knew by faith something is going on. I hadn't heard from you guys the first day, second day, 15th day, 20th day, but I'm not going to give up. And so even in your fast, you may not see the results. If people do that with fasting and they do that with prayer, why you don't pray? Well, because God don't hear me. Well, why would you say that? Because God didn't move. Well, you don't know whether God has moved or not. You don't know. And so in Daniel's case, God was moving, but the enemy was fighting behind the scenes. He didn't know that, but he did not give up. So know that when you fast, your answer may not come right away. The breakthrough may not come right away. It may not come for years, depending on what the situation is. But know that, that you have already labored and put that thing up in the heavens. So he said your answer may not be immediate. Sometimes it will come after your fast is over. But know that every time you fast and pray in the anointing, something is happening. Sometimes the obstacles, like in Daniel's case and some of our cases, some of the obstacles you face are demonic oppression, demonic behavior, demonic strongholds. So you're not just praying for a person. Now, you're battling some things in the heavens. It takes some time, especially in Daniel's case where you have some real strong demons. You know, you may have some generational stuff, stuff that's been passed out to your bloodline and been operating for years. So don't think a two-day fast is going to break all of that up. It may take some time, okay? So sometimes the obstacles we face are demonic oppression. Sometimes the generational curses. Sometimes there's strongholds that have to be broken one by one got to have patience. But keep on praying, and your breakthrough will come. Turn over now to page five, fasting for ministers and leaders. And we talked about that just a little bit earlier, but if we're in leadership, any, if we're serving in ministry or in any capacity of leadership, you have to cultivate a fasting lifestyle. That's not uh, questionable. It, it is imperative, okay? That's not Jesus didn't say, do you want to fast? He said, when you fast. And he was talking to the apostles. He was talking to those in leadership, talking to those in ministry. So God expects us to fast. 
Fasting teaches you self-denial. Remember, I also talked about it teaches you how to crucify the flesh. Because when you're in ministry, you're going to deal with folks. Some of the folks you deal with, be on some. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Some of them really operate with some stuff. And so if you're operating in the flesh, every time somebody don't speak to you or whatever, you're in attitude, then you, you need to fast and, and let God break that from you. It teaches you how to move in compassion. Remember what happened with Jesus when he came off his fast? What did he do? Even though it wasn't even his, he's a woman, it ain't even my time yet. But he moved in compassion. He did it anyway because it was a need. So even when, you're, when, you're, when you are in ministry, there will be times when, when people will call on you to do things, and it ain't your day. You know what I'm saying? You just, you're just having a bad day, okay? Or maybe just me. And <laughs> but, you know, maybe you're, there's a demand placed on your anointing, and maybe you're going through some personal stuff. But if you have a fasting lifestyle, you have already disciplined your spirit to go ahead and minister to that person, even when you yourself need a breakthrough. And so, we, again, we find that with Jesus. Jesus just came out, come on, 40 days, battling devils. Now he's trying to gather a group of apostles. He's got a brand-new church. You know they were a hot mess. So he's dealing with all of this, calling people to, to serve and calling them into the fold. And then his, his mom said, oh, Jesus, can you turn the water into wine? This ain't my day. You know what I'm saying? But he went ahead and did that because he was moved with compassion. As a matter of fact, every miracle that Jesus did, the Bible said he went about doing good. He was moved with compassion. So when you find yourself real hard and you're talking to people hard and just got a hard attitude, you need to fast like God breaks in and give you a spirit of compassion, okay? Uh, so it pays the cost of the ministry for the sake that you will minister to. Fasting puts others' needs before your own, all right? And that's what Jesus said. I just talked about the wedding at Cana. Uh, fasting also uh, is a means for your body to worship. It brings your flesh before the Father and it lays it on the altar. Your stomach hurts. Your head hurts. You're dizzy. You don't feel like doing nothing. Come on. You understand? It makes your body die. It, may, it, it literally makes your, your flesh is screaming. I'm hungry. My head is hurting. Your stomach growling and stuff. And, and, and then, you know, the enemy will be real creative. He'll start showing you how to make meals and stuff that you ain't never even tried before. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People offer you stuff. I mean, I know I'm not the only one that this happens to. Nobody offers you nothing to eat until you fast. Then all of a sudden, everybody want to bring you food. You know what I'm saying? I bought this, I cut this way. And you're like, praise God, because you don't want to tell them that. You know, it's something private between you and the Lord. But what I'm saying is fasting is also, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crucial time because the, your flesh is warring against you. People are warring against you because they don't understand why you don't eat lunch with them no more. The devil is warring against you trying to distract you. Your body is cutting a flip, and you're trying to hear from God. So this is a time of perseverance. This is a time of pressing through. You don't give up until God releases you from your fast. And we talked about in our opening, how often do you fast? You, you fast as often as you need to. The way God calls you to fast may not be the way God calls me to fast. Okay? The way God calls me to fast may not be the way he calls you. He called Jesus 40 days. He called Moses 40 days. He didn't call everybody to a 40-day fast. There's something he said three days. In, in Esther's case, three days. So it just appears. You'll know. The Holy Spirit will say, I need you to shut down for seven days. Or I need you to shut down for a week. Or I need you to shut down. You will know. God, that's personal between you and the Lord. Unless, like I said earlier, there's a corporate fast, then we all subscribe into whatever the corporate mandate is. But when God is calling you to your own individual fast, whatever the terms are, you have to follow that because your breakthrough, your, your increase in anointing, your increase in power is directly correlated to your obedience and fast. Okay? My hair, that's it, God, I'm coming off. You know, you miss it. <laughs> you miss it, you know, and, and, and you have to go back on that again. Uh, so... Let's look at the 12 benefits of fasting. I'm on page, in the middle of page five. Many times fasting is frowned upon by the believer because it, it entails a time away from food. Flesh does not want to fast, period. Flesh don't want to. Flesh likes flesh. 
Flesh like to feel good. Flesh like to look good. Flesh like to sound good. Flesh like to eat good. So whenever you say flesh, I mean, your flesh is like, no, we, we good. We straight. We anointed. We love Jesus. <laughs> but God said, no, I'm, I need to take you to another place. I need to take you and study that same scripture. And there's something else in that word I want to show you. So let me show you. Take it up fast. And let me pull the scales off your eyes. Let me, let me work on your heart a little bit. So there are many benefits um, to fasting. This is found, um, and I love that a lot of the prophets taught on fasting. The prophets talked about fasting. This is good, especially those who are the prophetic. Fasting is a part of your lifestyle. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 12. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness? This is why God chooses fast, not because, praise God, you want a new dress and you need some money. Well, I'm going to fast for God to give you some money. You cannot fast before it's God's hand. And, uh, and the school of deliverance, we're talking about witchcraft, prayer, and y'all will learn a lot about that. You cannot force God's hand in fasting. God will choose a fast for you to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free. And listen, in this case, it may be you. It may be for someone else. See, that's the thing. God may be calling you to a fast so that you can hear him to know how to deliver somebody else. may not always be for what you're going through. And it may be. But in some cases, God, like in Jesus' case, he wasn't bound or oppressed. He went through that fast because he was going to be released to let the oppressed go free. He was going to be released to undo heavy burdens. So sometimes when God is calling you in a fast, it's not that you've done anything wrong. It's not that he's punishing you and just don't want you to eat for three days. That's not the case at all. It's just that he wants you to be in a spiritual position to minister that deliverance and healing to somebody else. And like we said earlier, some kind of go out nothing, not, by, not, not but by fasting and prayer. So to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. To deal your bread to the hungry, you may have some selfish issues, and God's trying to teach you how to give, how to be liberal. He'll take you on a fast, okay? Uh, um, do your bread to the hungry, that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house. In other words, teaching you how to minister in hospitality. He said when you see the naked, that you cover him, that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. In other words, you're trying to run from your own issues. Do you, you see what the heart of what the prophet is saying? This is why God's calling, he's calling a fast. So to the anointed people, I'm calling you a fast because you don't know how to give to the poor. I'm calling you on the fast because you looked on those that were homeless and you didn't have mercy. I'm calling you on the fast because I need people to the sword. I'm calling you on the fast to, to undo the heavy burdens. This is why he calls us to times of fasting and prayers. He said that you not hide yourself from even your own flesh. In other words, in this fast, I'm going to show you why you can't move in God like you're supposed to. In this fast, I'm going to show you why you can't receive that anointing. In this fast, I'm going to show you why that man, you, you can't. Carry that mantle. It's too heavy for you. I'm going to show you why you keep stumbling. You keep stumbling in this area. I'm going to pull you into a fast, and I'm going to show you. And so he says, uh, so that you can, he says, so you won't hide from your own self. And then he says, so that your light can break forth. That's talking about your righteousness, okay, that your light can break forth. So some of you may be shut down. Somebody may be trying to suffocate you or smother you, and God's going to break you out of that. I'm going to show you how to get through that. I'm going to show you how to escape the snare of the fowler. He said, your light shall break forth at the morning, your health, you may have issues in the body. God said, when you come off this fast, I'm going to, in the midst of this fast, I'm going to show you how to eat. I'm going to show you how to discipline your body. I'm going to show you how to defeat cancer, or high blood pressure, what have you. It's all within the realms of that fast that he's calling you to. Uh, take away, then the Lord shall call. Let me back up, back up. Your health shall spring forth speedily. I'm in the middle of page five under the 12 benefits of fasting. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of God is going to be your reward. Then you shall call, the Lord shall answer, you shall cry, God shall say, here I am. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke of putting forth your finger and speaking vanity. In other words, God said, listen, you want me to hear you, you want me to answer you, I want you to stop pointing fingers and looking at people, looking down your nose at you. Stop speaking vanity. So God's pulling you into a fast to deal with flesh issues. He says, uh, 
and that you draw out your soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul. Then shall your light rise in obscurity and your darkness be as a noonday. And I think I said this last week. Sometimes we're looking for breakthroughs in our life, but sometimes you may be the breakthrough in somebody else's life. And so God was saying here in, in terms of fasting, God said, I'm going to show you. He said, listen, he said, I'm going to let your light rise in obscurity. I'm going to let your light rise in a dark place, but you want to minister that light place to somebody else first. Uh, he said, in your darkness be as a noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul in drought. I will make fat your bones. You will be like a water garden and a spring of water. In other words, if you're in a financial bind, you need to go to God and fast. God will show you how to break uh, uh, issues with your job, how to release that bonus, release that promotion. This is what he's saying. He said, listen, you'll be like a water garden, like a spring of water. Okay, you will flourish. Your waters won't fail. He said, and you shall be of those that build the old, old waste. Old waste places. In other words, God said, I will use you to bring up generations that if the enemy try to destroy, try to bury. I'll use you to do that. I'll use you to unearth some things. This is what fast. This is the fast that we run from. <laughs> Y'all ain't got to say nothing. This is the fast that we run. This is what this. These are the benefits. I'll break this down to you in just a minute. And so, uh, bottom page five. Okay, you'll build old waste places. People that you look at the size of towns and, and regions that folks just forgot about. And God said, I'll send you in there like Daniel, and I'll, I'll cause you to bring life to you. You'll send you'll go out to, you, to the mayor, and then tell the mayor, you give the mayor one word, and you can turn the whole job economy around in that little town. Okay? And he said, you'll raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell. And God said, I will use you as a deliverer, but I'm going to call you to, to a time of prayer. I'm going to ordain a time of fasting for you. I'm going to deal with you these issues. And then when I release you like Jesus, I'll release you with power to go forth. Now, according to the scriptures, here are the 12 benefits to fasting. Number one, revelation. Daniel fasted for revelation. God, you showed me this vision. I don't understand what this means. I, I, God, something is about to happen with my people. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to rest, Father, until you show me what's happening. And don't just show me what's happening, God. Show me what can I do. Is this something that I can prevent or adventure, God? Can you change your mind about it, or is this something that's setting stone, set in stone? So a benefit to fasting is revelation. God will take you to another place in the realm of understanding his word. Number two, healing and wholeness. That can be your physical healing. That can be your emotional. It can be mental healing. You can't get over your ex-boyfriend or your ex-baby daddy, whoever. Those God's father, in the name of Jesus, I give you my whole heart. Every time I wake up, I'm thinking my uh, Leroy. <laughs> Y'all don't know nobody in <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? But, it, you know, sometimes when you come out of a relationship, you find you can't get past a certain person. You can't stop thinking about it. Everybody looks like them. The music come on the radio. You bound up in your car at lunch trying to carry it on. So go before the Lord and fast. God, in the name of Jesus, break this all time. This stuff happens. You'd be amazed the things that bind the people of God up from moving to the next level. You'd be amazed. So when he said healing is not, and when we hear healing in the Bible, you know, many times we think about physical infirmities in the body. Not always the case. Sometimes there's emotional healing. Sometimes there's mental things that need to be uh, needs to be dealt with. Number three, your righteousness. God will restore your name. Okay, the presence of the glory of God on your life. We talked about last week being like Peter's shadow, and you walk, folk getting healed. You in the grocery store, deliver, taking that place on the on the on the detergent aisle. Just God's just using you. Answered prayers, continual guidance. Contentment. This is, these were all contained in the fast that God ordained in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 through 12. Revelation, healing and wholeness, righteousness, the presence of the glory of God on your life, answer prayers, continual guidance, contentment, a refreshing strength, work that endures, or prosperity, or financial wealth, 
and raising up, should be one more, raising up uh, future generations and restoration. So the next time when you hear the Lord say, daughter, son, time to fast, don't fight God. Uh, Lord, I didn't know that. I, was that you talking or was that the devil? <laughs> you know how we do. Certain things, we, we, we just get so confused. Now, God may take it to the next level. You got that. You got that. God take it fast, but I need to make sure, you know, because, you know, the devil comes too. No, no, that was God. <laughs> that was the Lord. So uh, these uh, 12 benefits uh, come to us uh, as a result of fasting. So we're going to... Um, shift gears there and move into speaking in tongues. So I think somebody asked a question last week about praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. This is going to get real good. Uh, turn to page 7. And let's look at speaking in tongues, and we'll get to the praying in the spirit part. All right. This is another area um, in the body of Christ that gets confusing. All right? It gets confusing. Now, there are, um, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? Many people have said, and I grew up thinking, or oh, I listened to like I grew up, I was taught growing up that the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. Well, we know that's not true, okay? The initial evidence, and according to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being an effective witness. That means that you're able to live in Christ. Like life. Okay? Let me find that because I want to make sure that that is recorded. All right. This is found in Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and so forth. So in this, Jesus did not say that after you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in tongues. That is not the first evidence of speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, there are many believers who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and still have not spoken in tongues, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you'll find that the enemy will use this type of teaching to frustrate and to uh, discourage a lot of believers who do have the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but just because they haven't spoken in tongues yet, then they just qualify them from being filled, but that's not true. Uh, the, uh, speaking in tongues is a spiritual, it is a manifestation of one of the biblical nine gifts of the Spirit. And when I say biblical, because I just believe in my heart that there are more evidences of the Holy Spirit than the nine that's recorded. But I wouldn't venture past it. I would just say don't shut God down to nine. That's all I would say. Um, but speaking in tongues is one of the manifested spiritual gifts by virtue of being filled with the Holy Spirit, Okay. So when we hear about speaking in tongues, I just want to clear that up because a lot of people, I've heard it and I've seen it. Now, like I said, I've been taught that even myself, that, you know, first time you get filled with the Holy Spirit, first thing that happens when you get filled with the Holy Spirit is you go off speaking in tongues, and that may not be the case. You may just start casting out devils. You, you know what I'm saying? You may just start preaching. When Peter, when they got to they just started preaching, okay? And tongues came later. If that was, if that was divided to them by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So one term for speaking in tongues is glossolalia. Don't say that too many times at once. It's a tongue twister. Uh, and what glossolalia means is the speaking of tongues is like a fluid speech-like speech, okay, that does not have any comprehended meaning, all right? This is strictly divine, strictly coming from the Spirit of God. Um, this is not a human language. You won't be able to figure it out unless God has given you the gift of interpretation of tongues, all right? And we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. The other is xenolalia. 
which is a speaking, and this is what we find in Acts chapter two, uh, 2. 2. What we find in chapter 2 is Zenalalia. And what happens is in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Verse 6. Now, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came and were confounded. Why? Because they heard every man speaking his own language. That was Zenalalia. That means that these, the apostles, those who were gathered in the upper room, those who had just been filled with the Holy Spirit, were speaking in tongues, not heavenly tongues. It was a human tongue, but they had never spoken that tongue before. They didn't take, uh, what's the class related teaches the language? Um, Rosetta Stone. They didn't take Rosetta Stone. They didn't take Spanish in college. It was just a supernatural impartation of a language that they spoke, but it was a human language. And I, I love to point this out because we, boy, a lot of people have really missed it. They were not speaking and shah, blah, 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 They were not doing that. The Bible says clearly when this noise, when they heard this noise, multitudes came from all over, and you read further, it tells you all the different regions and areas that they came from. They came and they heard them speak every man in his own language. So the gift of speaking in tongues is a supernatural endowment. It can come as a heavenly tongue or it can come as a human tongue that you've never had knowledge, never been taught, never had access to before. Okay? And there's been people, um, I've read accounts, I haven't experienced it. I don't think, not that I can remember. But there have been people that have gone to different places and the Spirit of God will come upon it and they would speak in a language that the other person could understand. That's, a, that's tongue. Um, but it's a different type of tongue. So if you look over to, let me give you some more Bible for this, in Acts chapter 2, verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, behold, aren't these Galileans? They said, how is it that we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And it's the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the dwellers in Mesopotamia, Judea. If you look from Acts chapter 2, 5, all the way through uh, 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 13, and that's the point of man, said, well, they just drunk. But when you read through all of that, you find that these were not heavenly tongues they were speaking in. So we just want to dispel the myth biblically that just because a person does not speak in tongues, heavenly tongues, does not mean that they have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. That just may not be the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit divided to them. Uh, moving past that, so we find the two types of tongues, the heavenly tongue and the native tongue, human tongue that you never had access to before. Uh, we talk about Acts chapter 2. Let me move down. Oh, okay, I already gave you that. So now how, let me just put this on take two. To review, the initial sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is to live a Christ-like, Christ-like life. That's what the Holy Spirit is, the Spirit of Christ. That means you can love people that don't love you. You can forgive folks that did you wrong. That's the Spirit of Christ. That's, that's the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that you can live a Jesus life. That's why he said, greater work shall you do. Why? He multiplied. When they buried him in the earth, Jesus became a seed, and we're the harvest. And so this is why he said, uh, I'm going to leave you. He said, but I won't leave you comfortless. I'm going to be with you always. How can Jesus be with us always but except through the Holy Ghost? And so that's that small voice. And people say, what does he sound like? Does it sound like thunder? Just go over here. (laughs) No, it's going to sound just like you. That voice is going to sound just like your voice, okay? But it will be smarter than you all day. <laughs> and it will probably tell you stuff that you don't want to do. So that's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but it's the spirit of Christ living on the inside, um, living on the inside of you, okay? Um, yeah. So the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12, he said it like this. He received the revelation about tongues thousands of years before this gift ever manifested on the earth. He said, uh, <clears throat> For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. 
to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. So now topic is, how does speaking in tongues, now we're talking about heavenly tongues now, okay? How does heavenly tongues profit the believer? How does that, what, what, is, what is that for? Why did God give you, those of you, those of us who have the gift of speaking in tongues, why is it there? And Isaiah said, this speaking in tongues is going to be a refreshing. You know how the word of God said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water? That's the spirit of God moving like an engine. I think Ezekiel said he's like a wheel inside of a wheel. And it turns, and it turns. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, is a, is a spirit of movement. It's always, God is always moving. From the very beginning, from Genesis, the Holy Spirit was moving over, waiting for God to tell him to do something. The Holy Spirit is always waiting on God to tell him what to do. Okay? And so when you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you, and you're praying, and you're praying uh, uh, sincerely, and you're praying intensely, the Holy Spirit is like, hey, we got this. We're going to the next level of prayer. The Holy Spirit will always pray a more effectual prayer than you can. Because it knows the mind of the Father. Matter of fact, Jesus said he will take up the Father and give it to you. And, and I, I know I'm getting off paper, but y'all know well, this is one of my topics. Right? <laughs> Woo, this is one of my topics. I love, the, I love the Holy Spirit. I love speaking in tongues. But at the same time, there's an order to that. We'll talk about that in a minute. There's a lot of confusion about that. But let me just say that in, in, uh, the speaking in tongues to the believer is a refreshing. It will refresh you. The Bible says it comes with groanings that you cannot utter. Great when you're down, when you're discouraged, praise God, the Holy Spirit will talk to you. When you get into that prayer closet and you're praying about your children or praying about your spouse or a situation on a job and you just don't know what else to say, Holy Spirit got it and he's taking it before the Father. And so when you come out of that prayer, you will literally feel a relief. But during the time that you're praying the Holy Spirit, you can feel that, I say engine, but it's your inner man, churn. It's like, just like you see, it's a wheel. It's just churn, 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 churn. And, and a lot of times, you get to the point to where your stomach, mind does, feel sore. Yeah. When, you, when you're done, you can literally feel your stomach feel sore. You can put your hand, and this is why a lot of times when we're praying for people, we're laying hands right there, activating them, releasing those waters and releasing whatever that blockage is and, and, and releasing that, that refreshing. So what's happening is Isaiah, prophet Isaiah said this thousands of years ago, he said there's going to come a refreshing he said, this is going to give the weary man a chance to rest. So when you feel with the Holy Spirit and God has given you the, the gift of tongues, that's a gift. When you are discouraged, when you're going through, when you're disappointed, you can get to a place in God in prayer and let the Holy Spirit take over and let God, let the Holy Spirit talk it out, let it walk it out for you. And you will feel that refreshing, even if you don't understand yet what's going on. But you know the Holy Spirit got it. You know God got it. And you can rest. As I said, you can rest. So now, Romans 8.26 says this, and we know this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmity. It could be a natural infirmity, mental infirmity, spiritual infirmity. The Holy Spirit comes to help you in your time of trouble. That's why he is the comforter. For the Bible says we know not what to pray for as we are, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. In other words, the Holy Spirit will intercede and pray for you as you use these tongues in your own private prayer. This is not something you do in the middle of your service. You just take off and have a private prayer in the middle of church. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? This is something you, this is between you and God. So, so as you're going before the Lord in prayer and you're taking these, these uh, infirmities and things before him, the Holy Spirit will take over your prayer. The Holy Spirit will take over your prayer, and he will begin to talk to the Father. And as the Holy Spirit, what, what's happening is, Paul said it like this. He said the Holy Spirit will be, reveal mysteries. In other words, there are things that God knows is going on in your life. That's why he said you don't know what to pray for. You think it's Sandy on the job that's coming, coming at you. And, and you don't understand Sandy, Sandy is being used by a devil. Yeah. Sandy is being used by the same devil that attacked your mother on her job. Yeah. You understand? 
And so we we at work. Oh God, deal with Sandy. Lord, move on to God. And God said, you don't even know what you you pray. You don't even understand what's going on. So when you pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like it ain't Sandy. It's the Spirit move using Sandy. It's an old ancient devil using Sandy, and you just busy Sandy ping ping ping, and you miss it. You understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit come and drive and take it to the next level. He said, uh, uh, um, so we don't pray like that in your corporate setting. When we come corporately, we come together, we come to edify. I'm going to give you scripture for that in a little bit, okay? But this is why it's important to have your own prayer altar at home. On your own prayer altar, you can be just as messy and ugly. You can carry yourself to deliverance. You understand what I'm saying? Have your little snot bucket, your towels, your sanitizer, and you do that thing. You understand? You don't bring that on Sunday morning when somebody else is be, and you, uh, come on. You are uh, they hurting on the God. Well, what you doing Friday night, Thursday afternoon? That's a, that's a, as a minister now. That's what you do at home. So when we come together corporately, we come to edify. But like I said, I'll get to that in a minute. So, so the, the, um, oh, it, it was so much, uh, I, I know I jumped all over the place with this thing. But let me back up now to right up under that section with how to speak in tongues prophet, the belief on page seven, that, uh, the word rest, in, that, in the Hebrew word for rest, rest means menuach, or it means a vacation spot. In other words, when you're praying in the Holy Spirit, God will literally take you to a vacation, a place of rest. That's what that means. It's an escape. There's another word that means nuach, N-U-W-A-C-H, and it means to settle down. So speaking in tongues when you're upset or when you and you don't even have to be upset. Sometimes I'm just in my kitchen just praying, just praying. I don't even know what I'm just praying, praise God. And, and, but he takes you to a place of rest, and he causes you to rest in the Lord. So then we talk about the Holy Spirit praying um, for us, our infirmities. The ministry of tongues is a private, personal ministry to you during that time. It is to help your infirmities, to help your trouble. It won't benefit nobody else at all. If Shaprita walks in my house, I'm going to blah, 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 blah. She don't know. She doesn't say, praise God, so she don't need to keep on going. You know, because that's, that's my, she don't know what's going on, except God revealed it to her. That's my own personal, that's my private time. So during that time of the Holy Spirit, he, he, he helps our infirmities. He helps mine, okay? And, and, and so because I don't know what to pray for as I ought to, but the Holy Spirit is going to make intercession for me, okay? Then he also make intercession for you at your time. So that's how that works. Now, moving down a little bit, Paul became a mighty, mighty, mighty man of God, apostle, a man of valor, because he spoke in tongues on a regular and consistent basis. He was always drinking from the wells of the water, and this is what Isaiah was talking about, that fountain, that refreshing. He was always drinking from the wells of water dwelling inside of him. Remember Jesus told the woman, he said, this water you drink will never be thirsty again. It was a refreshing. The Bible said refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. And so Paul spoke in both the glossolalia and the zenolalia. Paul spoke in the heavenly tongue, and Paul went all over the place. This man, God used him to evangelize and, and to bring to Christ Gentiles, that people in regions we probably can't even no, and for now, may not even be existing now, but God sent him all over the place. He didn't just speak in a heavenly tongue. He also spoke in a native, in a human tongue as well. The fruit of his life was evident. This man wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, you can't, you, you can't touch it. But you know what he said? He said, I, he said, I thank my God I spoke in tongues in all of you. He said, I spoke in tongues more than all of y'all. And this man wrote over two-thirds of the gospel, raised up apostles, taught us how to be a prophet, taught us how to be apostles. Why? Because he spoke in tongues. He drank from that river, and out of that river there was a refreshing. Out of that river was revelation. Out of that river was power. Out of that river was understanding. Out of that river came native tongues, all types of tongues, and this man was bad. When the devil tried to lock him up, he started praising. 
So the devil knows the power available to every believer when they exercise the gift of speaking in tongues. That's why the enemy, the enemy tries to keep the church ignorant. He tries to keep us confused, and he tries to keep us in debate over how to properly execute this gift. Okay? And so that's why it's so important that in our own devotional private time, you are speaking in tongues. Many times personally when I'm praying about things, I just rather let the Holy Ghost do it. Because I'm Lord, I don't know how I'm working that. Especially, oh God, especially in business. I, when I come across, you know, techniques and things I don't quite understand, and I don't, I, I back up from myself. Okay, God, shut up. And I just let the Lord teach me how to do it. And He, He, He. No one has taught me how to do what I do. God has taught me all of it. All of it. He's taught me through the Holy Spirit. So if the enemy knows there's a power in speaking in tongues that we we need to really take advantage of. Okay, we really need to take advantage of it. Now, let's move down. The gift of interpreting tongues. Remember I talked about these nine gifts, and I think it's in what, 1 Corinthians chapter, I should have put it on there, but I didn't. It's in 1 Corinthians, what, 14, 13, uh, 13. Mm-hmm. I'm on page 8. Uh, in the scriptures, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It has a list of all the nine gifts of the Spirit. Okay? Um, I'll read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4, says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. So that's why I don't ever compare your, how God uses you to anybody else. That's a foolish, foolish thing to do. Okay? Foolish thing to do. Work with what God gave you. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with. Okay? To, 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 to be successful with in ministry in, in your life. He said, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. That's one uh, uh, spiritual gift. Another word of knowledge, two. Another faith, three. Another gift of healing, four. Uh, to another working of miracles, five. Another prophecy, six. Discerning of spirit, seven. Diverse kinds of tongues or speaking in tongues, eight. And to another interpretation of tongues. Those are nine gifts of the Spirit. First found in First Corinthians chapter 12, verse Four through eleven, and but then he says here, but all these work at the one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And so I want to piggyback that off of what I said in in uh, Acts chapter two that not every person has the gift of speaking in tongues, but that does not mean that they don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's just that God, for whatever reason, didn't see fit to bless them with it. Now they can get up to that point; they can get it. Okay. But you got to ask for it. You have not because you have not. So now, uh, and I'm, y'all know that moving, I don't want to get into all of that stuff. Um, yeah, look over to chapter, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 20, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 27, 28. And God has sent some of the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, health, government, diversity, time. Are all apostles? No. All prophets? No. All teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Have they all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He said, covet earnestly the best gift. Covet what God gave you. Study it. Master it. Be the best whatever you are in God. And then God will take you to the next place. And then I'll show you a more excellent way. Okay? So um, let me move past that. Uh, so now moving to the gift of interpreting tongues, as we just found out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Now here is what the gift of interpreting tongues is not. It is not a translation. It is interpreting, interpretation. In other words, if you have that gift of interpreting tongues operating in your life, you will be able to tell through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, whether that's a tongue of warfare, whether that's a tongue of praise, 
whether that's a tongue of worship, whether that's a tongue of grief or sorrow, you will be able to tell what that person is. I feel like not what they're saying because you can't translate. There's no way you can translate the spiritual language. You will be able to tell the, I don't want to use the word theme, but I can't think of a better word. But you'll be able to tell the type of tongue that they're speaking in, right? You'll be able to tell the type of tongue. In other words, y'all means they're going, blah, 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 blah. And everybody's like, what in the world is she saying? And so I get up, come on, y'all, it's time to praise the Lord. Why? Because through the Holy Spirit, through the gift of interpreting tongues in my life, I was able to discern her tongues is a tongue to pray, and her tongue is a tongue of worship. Or she may say, shut up, come on, y'all, let's go get ready for the war. You know what I'm saying? Now, I can't tell you exactly what she said because it's a spiritual language, okay? But I can tell you God is moving her to do warfare, or God is moving us to do praise, or it's time to intercede. Come on, y'all, let's get ready to pray. You'll be able to tell the type of tongue that the person is speaking in. But you cannot translate. You can't say, oh, she said tomorrow, 3 o'clock. You cannot translate. It's a heavenly tongue. It's a heavenly tongue. You cannot translate a heavenly tongue. Okay? But you can interpret it. And I, believe me, we got scripture for this. We'll move down to that in a little bit. So the entire gift of interpreting tongues is given by the Holy Spirit to phonetically distinguish the type of tongue the believer is speaking in. Like I said, they'll know whether yours is a tongue of worship, They'll know whether it's a tongue of prayer, praise, intercession, warfare, what have you. Interpreting tongues is not the same as in translating. The person with this gift can give you a summary, and they can give a, a, a message of what God is trying to say, but they cannot translate the whole. We're not, we can't translate what's coming from heaven, okay? Uh, this type of person also can discern the origin of a tongue. Is it a heavenly tongue, a hypocritical tongue, a false tongue, immature tongue? That's what that gift does. It will let you know because demons speak in tongues too. Okay? So that person with the gift of interpretation, and God put all that to protect the body. God put all of that in the church to protect the body. So with the person with the gift of interpreting tongues, they'll be able to tell you which type of tongues they're moving in, uh, and they can kind of help the church. Those who don't, some may already know. I know her spirit. I know I already know the sound. You know, some may not know. You may have a whole church full of new people. You may be in a new place. And so you may need somebody to get up and interpret what, you, what, you, what you're saying. And then, like I said, in other cases, you'll know whether it's a demonic tongue, whether somebody's trying to curse you. We had that. That lady came sat right in the front row. We heard and got out of here. Amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you, you have to know. You have to know. So speaking in tongues is like, and this, I want to hit on this really good. Speaking in tongues is like speaking in any other language. The more you use it, the more you perfect it. When I first started speaking in tongues, my tongues was ba 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 And I know because they put me on the microphone, the whole church heard <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? You start out just like with a baby, right? You start out the same, same, same thing. You start out with a baby, and you start using very basic syllables, very basic um, tones, and things of that nature. But then, the more you mature, and I've experienced this, the more you mature, the more you perfect it. Then, the more you uh, you you can enunciate a little better. Okay, you can and you can tell more mature, and not to say you oh she got baby tongues. It's not that you're judging anybody, but just, just to know, just to know, okay? So there, there are a, a, a mature tongue, thank you, a mature uh, a tongue, there are tongues, infant-type tongues that are just starting out, but they're good, all of them good, praise God. But what you want to do is you want to keep using it. You know, you want to say, you want to, my tongue's at, what, 1994, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't, I shouldn't come from y'all, blah, blah, something is wrong, you know what I'm saying? you 55 years old, you my, my, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something's wrong. So, same thing applies in, in, in the realm of the spirit. The more you use it, the more you perfect it, the more you sharpen it. 
and, and the more comfortable you get with it. And so you can tell those of you, anybody's mature, and I'm not picking anybody, but as, as leaders, you kind of know where your people are. You can tell who's praying. You can tell who's playing. You, you can tell where a person is. It's like, you know, the same terms you told them five years ago. You first came here. And there should, be, there should be some progression. There should be some growth. There should be, you know, a, a more fluid. When you talk about a fluid type, it flows. You know what I'm saying? There's like a, there's a, a um, he's out of your belly, out of, out of your belly, shall flow. So if, if you're not using tongues like you should, you're not really moving in that like you should, it's going to be real choppy. You understand? You're Depending on, now, sometimes that just may be where you are. You may be interested and you find it or you get out. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? There should, as you, as we perfect our natural language, so should we perfect our spiritual language. All of you is a grade school. You got English from kindergarten all the way to 12. You understand? Let's do the same thing in the realm of the spirit. Lord, I'm going to go high. I'm going to, and it's, it's not that you can't take a class and speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit has to do that. But the more you yield yourself, the more you pray, and the more you give God t- your time, then you'll find the Lord himself will start driving and saying and teaching you different stuff. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. And it, it'll come. The Holy Spirit will, will, it will, it will do it for you. So, and don't go trying to practice nothing, trying to find up some, <laughs> <laughs> up some, some devil from Amazon. Honey, <laughs> <laughs> look at my kids are playing awesome. Look at them. Don't you play like that. Don't play with no tongues because you don't know what you're saying. So don't, don't, don't do that. You know, let the Holy Spirit do that, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> don't go conjure up nothing, okay? <laughs> so um, thank you. So uh, let's see if I finish with, with that. All right. Um, so Ephesians chapter 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Paul taught the believers to pray always in the spirit. Pray always in the spirit. That's not to say you walk around, well, all day long you on your knees, but you're led by the spirit of God. If you're at work, if you count and change out, you're tuning with the spirit, you can pick up what sister so-and-so is going You can pick up what brother so-and-so. You can pick up what apostle or somebody's going. You can pick it up in the spirit. And even while you're working, your spirit is praying. Your spirit is praying. And you don't even have to move your lips. You don't have to go in a corner. I got to go in a corner. God, tell me to pray. No, you can still, God bless you. But in your spirit, your spirit is praying. You understand? So you, he said, pray always with all prayer and supplications in the spirit. And a supplication is a request from the Lord. That's what that is, okay? But you're persevering. You're persevering because the Lord may reveal something to you about someone, and, it, and it's not one of those um, hit it and quit it kind of prayers. You understand? You may have a sister that in your life, what have you, maybe going through something, and you want to keep praying that thing through until you see her deliverance. So you pray in the spirit. You got work. You got, and you'll find you you'll find yourself say that I got you in my spirit. I've been praying for you all day. I didn't even realize that you're doing exactly what the Holy Spirit has has witnessed. That's what you're doing. You text. I had you in my spirit. I was praying for you because you were carrying out Ephesians six eighteen. You picked this lady up in your spirit, or you picked this man up in your spirit, and you just prayed for him. Okay. So Paul taught the believers to always pray in the spirit. This can mean tongues or being led to pray in your own tongue, your own native tongue. Either way, prayer is essential to the believer's obedience and for the supplying of needs for yourself and for others. Paul said to pray always. So our hearts and minds should constantly be in tune with the Lord in prayer. As we pray in the Spirit, we're watching the atmospheres of the people under our influence. Remember he said watching, what did he say? He said watching there too with all perseverance. You're watching the atmosphere of people under your influence. You're watching them. They're not stare at them to the point of being uncomfortable. You understand? But you you like, man, you did something off today. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like you're going through something off. I kind of see a warfare going all around you, what have you. You're watching them. You, you're taking the oversight, spiritual oversight for them, and you care about their well-being. Um, 
So you kind of watch the atmospheres of the people. You're not backing up in prayer despite how contrary the challenges are. You're not just praying for yourself. Some of our prayers is me, myself, and I, my four, no more. Very selfish prayer. You know, but when you mature in your prayer life, sometimes you, Jesus, what he said? He said, if I was hungry, I would not tell you. In other words, Jesus didn't go to the Father, Lord, it's me. I need some more money today. I'm not. I can't fish messed up and that. They won't stop. No, he, he always had a
you feel real refreshed, you feel on fire, and when you come out of the class, you're looking at people, and they're like, what, you know, you left them behind, you know what I'm saying? You got all your water refreshing, and the people are just standing there watching you, okay? So you, you can't leave them behind. <laughs> don't, leave, don't leave them behind. So um, he says that, so you can't, you can't assume that they know that, okay? You may come out of it edified because speaking in tongues does edify you, but if they don't understand what you're saying, they have not been edified. You brought in confusion. Even though you didn't mean to, you're feeling real good and spiritual. But what happened is now they're confused. We'll give you some more scripture for that in a minute. So now Paul says, bottom of page 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 26, how is it then, brother? When you come together, he said, everybody has a song, everybody has a doctrine, they got their own tongue, they got their own, and this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. This is what was, can you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine? He said, how is it when y'all come together, everybody got a song, everybody got a doctrine, everybody has a tongue, everybody has a revelation, so he said they got interpretation. He said, let everything be done edifying. He said, there's no edifying, y'all. Everybody's confused. And so that's why they were writing letters. Paul, when can you come? Paul, can you come down here? We got issues. Hell, you know, we got people prophesying. I mean, people manifesting. They ain't got no love. I mean, you know, it was a problem. I love studying the Corinthian church because they were spiritual. They were filled with the spirit. They did have the gifts, but they had issues. So I love every episode I believe ought to just take a bath in Corinthians and tell you first and second Corinthians. So, so he says here that um, you got all of this stuff. He said, but let it be done edifying. He, everything in the body of Christ has to be done to edify if we come in corporate. It has to. Otherwise, it's, I, that's not the order of God to come in church and you have your church by yourself. You cannot have your church by yourself. You have to do that at home. Okay, so you have to consider the body. You have to consider the body. So now the word edify means to build up. In other words, if you're speaking tongues over people and nobody knows what you're saying, you're not building them up. They are confused. Okay, they don't know what you're saying. They don't know whether to say amen. They don't know whether to bind it, loose it. They don't know whether to grab the oil and run. They don't know. <laughs> you understand? Except you have an interpreter. Okay, except somebody comes to bring some order to that. So if you're praying for some, even when you're praying for somebody in tongues, interpret it. Because sometimes God does something like that. When I'm praying for somebody, I'm, I'm like, okay, God, what are you saying? I may speak in tongues so I can get a revelation. And then I'll come out of that at some point and say, okay, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming with a revelation. I'm not just going to pray in tongues over you the whole time. And y'all don't know what you, you don't know. I don't know what you're releasing over me. You know, tell me something. What you saying? You know, <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> Should I fight? Should I run? Should I stay? Should I go? So even in times of praying, it's okay if the Holy you know, because I do that a lot when I, and I'm sure I've seen some of y'all do it too. When you're praying for someone and you're speaking in tongues just to get that revelation, because the Holy Spirit, through speaking in tongues, it brings you revelation. And Paul talked about that. Amen. God will open up mysteries and the Holy um, Spirit will bring mysteries to you about a person's life. But when you're done praying for them and you hear from God, then come back to your natural language and, and give them interpretation or pray or release or say something. You know what I'm saying? Don't just leave them there and they don't walk up and, you know, they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they might. I need prayer. I, 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 I don't know what just happened. God forbid they go through something that weak in their life. They're looking at you. Well, that woman's brought that stuff over me. Now you, now you got a war. Okay? So um, when you're speaking in tongues over people, no one knows what you're saying. You're not edifying. If you're praying for somebody, um, you don't interpret. They don't know how to come into agreement with your prayer. So tongues is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of the gift. Amen. The way you use the tongue is a sign of maturity. Does that make sense? Wow. Okay. So, amen. Page 8. Oh, that was it, wasn't it? Lord, I wasn't finished teaching that. Oh, good. It's a good place to break. 
So let me turn off my devices here, and I want to open up for some questions. I feel like I had another page. Y'all don't have another page? I I got it right here. Oh, no, I didn't think I was finished. Okay, page nine. So the top of the page says, what does the word say about the operation of tongues and corporate ministry? So we're still kind of dealing with the corporate ministry thing. Um, so what does the word say, top of page nine, what does the word say about the operation of tongues and corporate ministry? In First Corinthians chapter 14, oh, yeah, because I want to put all of this out. First Corinthians 14, verses 2 through 5. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So if I come to you and shout, blah, 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 you're going to look at me like, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm saying. It's a heavenly language, and I'm talking to God. So he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speak to God. No one understands him. He's speaking a mystery in the spirit. And that's the good part about speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, I do this at work a lot. When I'm coming to it, and y'all, sometimes I get so baffled in some of my work. And I just stop what I'm doing, and I speak in tongues, and I say, God, release mystery. Show me how to do this. Give me the wisdom. And I speak in tongues over that particular word. Um, so speaking in tongues releases mysteries. That's how Paul was able to excel like he did. Nobody could shut Paul down with doctrine. Nobody. Paul, Peter, who was with Jesus three and a half years, couldn't shut Paul down. Paul rebuked Peter. And that's something because he spoke in so much tongues, he had so much wisdom. He was drinking from the wells of water all the time. And so that's why he was able to withstand Peter. He went off on John Mark. I mean, he, that man was a beast. I mean, I don't mean a good beast. You know what I'm saying? He was a beast. But he was so sharp, you couldn't cross him. You couldn't cross him. This man was so full of the spirit. You could not cross a Paul. You just couldn't. You could not do it because he spoke mysteries. And as he spoke mysteries, God gave him understanding of what he was speaking in the spirit. So the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, right? It's building me up. It's refreshing me. It's giving me mystery. But the one who prophesies now is building up the church. So do you see that how tongues is a private ministry to me? Prophecy is a public ministry, a corporate ministry. All right? Because I'm speaking in my own tongue. You can hear the Lord is saying, this is what we're going to do versus shop. You don't understand that. Now, so the one who edifies, excuse me, the one who prophesies edifies the church. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, I wish all of y'all could speak in tongues. So you know this had to be a beautiful gift in Paul's life. Out of all the nine gifts of the Spirit, he didn't say, I wish you could heal. I wish you could interpret. He said, I wish everybody could speak in tongues. Because he found a nugget, he found a jewel in speaking in tongues. He wanted everybody to get on him. Everybody. He said, I wish, he said, I wish all of you could speak in tongues. He said, but I'd rather you prophesy. Why? Because after you finish speaking in tongues, somebody needs to know what God is saying. Yeah. Oh, God. So he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, except he interprets. So that the church may be edified. It's all about building up the church. It's all your prophecy gotta build the church. Your prayers gotta build the church. Your ministry gotta everything you do is unless it's, if it's not, it's, it's not the order of God. That is not the order of God. Okay, so remember, speaking in heavenly tongues is a language of the spirit. You were talking to God, not men. Therefore, if you're standing in the congregation speaking in tongues, you're no longer talking to the people because they can't understand you. A few may can interpret, okay? But overall, the assembly has to sit still now and wait for somebody to speak and bring understanding. Speaking in tongues edifies and builds your spirit. It builds your faith. There's one scripture that says um, building up building up upon my most holy faith, praying in the spirit. 
it will build up your faith. It will enhance your revelation, but when you speak publicly, you have to speak in your own language to edify the people or you become a barbarian, or the word barbarian means uncivilized. So Paul said, I'd rather you prophesy, give a divinely inspired message to the people so they can hear God clearly and be edified. The person who can speak and clearly articulate the message of the Lord to the people to the point that they are edified is greater than the one who speaks in tongues and nobody can understand him. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to the what? Edifying of the church. God wants his church edified so that it can grow. If you're not edifying the church, you are working against the prescribed order of the church and causing hindrances, and this is what God hates. Last scripture here, last two set of scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 25. Wherefore, let him that speak in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So what is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding. Also, he said, else when I bless Excuse me. Else when you shall bless the spirit, how shall those in the room know to say amen? He said, because they don't understand what you say. He said, so you have barely given God thanks, but nobody else is edified. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. However, in church, when I'm among you, I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding than 1,000 words, 10,000, excuse me. Where am I at? I'd rather speak five words in my own understanding that by my voice I can teach you than speak 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. He said, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent of babies is when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters like this. He said, in the law it is written, and that's when he went back to what Isaiah said, stammering tongues and all this stuff. Um, he said, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. He said, prophesying serves not them that believe not, but for them which believe. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come to your church and hear everybody speaking in tongues, they will think you are crazy. He said, but if all prophesy and somebody, an unbeliever comes in or somebody who doesn't know the order, they are convinced why? Because the prophecy is going to open up their heart. God's going to show you secrets and mysteries of their heart, and they're going to know that's God. God is in there, or she heard God, or he heard God. Last uh, thing, and we're going to close for a break for a few minutes. First Corinthians fourteen twenty-seven through 28. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him be quiet, and let him speak to himself and to God. We're going to stop there. I'm opening up for questions.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.